Oh, good morning, church. Good morning. Good morning. What a great day. Great time to come to worship and to praise our God. And just so thankful we're here today. And I uh, hope and pray everybody's been having a great weekend, a great time. And um, just, man, being together and growing in your own relationship with the Lord, with your family, with your friends. And I'm excited about today because today we come to the conclusion of this really great series. It's kind of the climax of this series called Defining Moments. And we've been walking through this series and talking about the defining moments of our life. We've been talking about the ups and the downs, the joys and the struggles, and yet all of us have a story. All of us have a journey that we're on, and God has defining moments. And as you think back over your life, you can think about some of those defining moments. And maybe for you, it's when you were younger and, you know, your, your family moved and you thought, wow, I don't know about this move. And it was a time of anxiety for you. And yet you look back and you think, where would my life have been if we hadn't moved? You know, what would have happened to me? And, or maybe it was when you decided to go to college or not go to college. Or maybe it was when you decided what college to go to and you just watch your life kind of go this way. And it was a defining time in your life. Or maybe for you it was a hard time, a difficult time. And we've seen Romans chapter 8 where it says, For we know, we know that in all things, all things, God works for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. That God is at work in your life. That God is writing your story. And here's what we've said is this, is God's not finished with any of us yet. We still have breath in our lungs for a reason. We still have life for a reason that God is still writing our story and defining moments are still to come. And so it's been great as God's been challenging us and teaching us. We are also in the book of the Bible, the book of Acts. And we're seeing a defining moment that happened in the life of the church. You know, in God's redemptive story, God created man, God created you and me for a relationship with him. If you ever wonder, why was I created? You were created for a relationship with God. You were created for a relationship with him. But what happened? Man sinned, right? We were disobedient. We said, God, we don't want to do it your way. We want to do it our way. And yet there was this chasm of sin, a holy God and sinful man. And so God stepped in and he sent his son, Jesus, the redeemer of mankind. And when Jesus came, he lived 33 sinless years. He died on a cross, conquering death. He rose from the grave and he is alive. And he made a way for you and me to have a relationship with this holy God. He paid the price for our sins. And before Jesus ascended into heaven at the end of the Gospels, he told his disciples, guys, go and make disciples of all nations. Go and make disciples of all nations. I want the good news to go to everybody. I want people to know. I want people to hear. I love all people. But when you open the book of Acts, and Acts stands for the Acts of the Apostles, when you open the book of Acts, the Holy Spirit comes in Acts chapter 2, and the church explodes. 3,000 people accepting Christ. It was awesome. But the church was growing, but it was just in Jerusalem. All the Christians were Jewish. And the gospel stayed there and it went from 3,000 people in the church to 5,000 to 20,000. And God's going, I've got a bigger plan. I've got a bigger purpose. And my heartbeat is for all people to know me. And so we've been in Acts chapter 8, 9, 10, and 11. And we saw in Acts chapter 8 that persecution came. And what looked like a terrible time for the church was actually something that God allowed for his glory. Because in the midst of the persecution, people began to spread out. And they went and they took the gospel to the ends of the earth. And they took the gospel as they fled from Jerusalem. They started telling people like Philip in Acts chapter 8, telling this Ethiopian eunuch about Jesus. And this Ethiopian eunuch, many people believe, is the one who took the gospel to Africa. Or in Acts chapter 9, right? This guy named Saul persecuting the church on the way to Damascus to persecute the church and has this vision. Jesus says, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And the conversion of Saul, who becomes the Apostle Paul, he ends up writing over half of the New Testament. God had a plan and God had a purpose. Or like last week in Acts chapter 10, a guy named Peter, 
And Peter, who was a disciple, who walked with Jesus, who was there when Jesus was crucified, who was there at the resurrection, who was there. And now God says, hey, I want you to go to the Romans. I want you to go to the Romans and tell them the good news. And overcoming that fear and pushing past that anxiety and stepping into what God had for Peter and the gospel spreading out and God moving. And weren't we glad? Because many of us, we're Gentiles, right? I mean, aren't we glad that the gospel got out past the walls of Jerusalem and came to us? Defining moment, defining time. Now, in our series, we've talked about this. As a believer, as a Christ follower, there's really some defining moments that happen in your story, in your God's story. The first is this. The greatest defining moment in any person's life is salvation. It's salvation. And for you, if you're a believer, if you're a Christ follower, you can think back in your mind and say, hey, that was for me, right? It was a defining time. And maybe it was a instantaneous, you were at a worship service and God just spoke and you said, yes, I'm giving my life to Christ. Or maybe you grew up in a Christian household. Praise God for godly parents. Thank you, godly parents, for investing in the next generation. And man, you just kind of always knew Jesus. But there was a time that you said yes. There was a time as God drew you to himself and invited you into this relationship with him. That you stepped over the line and said, I'm going to be a follower of Christ. Salvation. Salvation is not about what we do. Salvation is about what he's done. And God sent his son Jesus to redeem and restore us. The greatest defining moment for us all is salvation. It changes everything in our life. The decisions we make, the way we live, what we view about ourselves, what we view about the world, salvation. The second defining moment comes in this. It comes when you go public with your faith. The Bible says repent and be baptized. That baptism follows repentance. And there's a time when this inner faith becomes this outward expression of baptism, that I'm following Christ and I'm becoming a disciple. Some people say, well, I was baptized as an infant, and that's fantastic, that's great. But that was also your parents' decision, right? And we call that family dedication. And it's great to be dedicated as a family to the Lord, but there's a time after you respond to Christ that you say, I want to follow Jesus. And I want everybody to know, and you overcome the fear, and you push past the anxiety, and you say, I'm going to follow Christ. The third defining moment happens when God gives you a very clear vision for your life. Now, this may happen five years, 10 years, 15, 20 years in your story, in your journey. But a vision comes for the way God wants to use you. And it may be a vision for your family. It may be a vision for your ministry. It may be a vision for your leadership. It may be a vision for your career. But there's a vision that comes. And when that vision comes, you have the opportunity to say yes and to step into that. Or you have the opportunity to step back and say, no, 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 God. I'm not going to do it. So what are you going to do? And this morning, we're going to start to see this. The fourth defining moment, I believe, happens for a believer. When you move in your life from success to significance. When you move in your life to say, hey, I'm not just going to live for the things of this world and pursue the things of this world. I'm going to live a life of significance for the glory of God. Everything in me, I'm all in. I'm following Jesus all of my days. God, I'm yours. And when you do that in your life, man, you put a stake in the ground and you go forward and you watch God do what only God can do. It's a defining moment. And I'm glad you're here today. If you have a Bible with you this morning, I invite you up with me to the book of Acts. We're going to be in Acts chapter 11 today. And uh, man, I just love the word of God. So I'm excited about this morning, this passage. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the four gospels. And then you come to the book of Acts. And uh, we're going to unpack the Word of God. Maybe you have a mobile device with you. You can access the scriptures online as we look at it together. You can also take notes if you're on version, uh, Or if you have a worship guide and you want to write some notes down and we'll put the words on the screen so you can follow along with what God's Word has to say. Now we left off in Acts 10 last week as God gives this vision to Peter. This is Peter the disciple. This is Peter, you know, who is with Jesus. And God gives him this vision. 
And Peter responds to the vision and he goes to this Roman centurion's home and he enters into his home. Now, this is the first time that Peter as a Jew has ever been into a Gentile home. The first time that he's ever done that. And he walks into this home and he shares Christ with, you know, this centurion and his family and revival breaks out. And Peter is fired up, right? I mean, Peter's so excited. He's acted on the vision. And he comes back to Jerusalem to share the good news. You wouldn't believe what's happening. And yet, look what happens in Acts chapter 11. Pick up at verse 1. It says, The apostles and the brothers throughout Judea heard that the Gentiles also had received the word of God. So when Peter went up to Jerusalem, the circumcised believers criticized him and said, You went into the house of an uncircumcised man and ate with them. That's probably not the response Peter was thinking, right? (laughs) He goes back and they criticize him. Peter, what are you doing? What are you thinking? Here's the first thing I want you to get. Number one is this. Not everyone will understand the vision God has given you. Not everyone will understand the visions God's given you. But see, God wasn't through with Peter and God's not through with you. God wasn't through with Peter and God's not through with you. And there comes a time when you have to step up and say, I've got to respond to the vision God's given me. I've got to be obedient to what God's called me to do. Now, some of you, you're, you're first-generation Christians in your family, right? I mean, some of you, you've come to the Lord since you've been here at church, and, and you're following Jesus. And, and sometimes, you know, your extended family, they don't understand. They're like, man, you're at church all the time, you know? <laughs> you're taking your kids on Sunday morning. You're taking your kids on Wednesday night. Really? I mean, what's going on? And you're like, well, some people, you know, you say, hey, uh, God's given me this vision. We're going to start this business. We're going to start this company. And you stole your partners and you're saying, hey, we got this vision and, and God's given me this vision. I think we're going to make a lot of money, but I want to tithe. I want to give the first 10% of our profits back to God. And your partners are like, whoa, 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 hey, whoa, wait. Come on, that's crazy talk. You know, I mean, what are you, what are you doing? You're like, no, it's a vision God's given me. And they, you're thinking they're going to be all for it, you know, help the poor, take care. And they're like, oh, I don't know about that. And God gives you this vision and you think everybody's going to be like, woohoo. And sometimes people don't understand. Sometimes people just don't kind of get it. I'll never forget when I was a student pastor, and, and I loved being a student pastor. I had middle school, high school, and college students, and it was a blast. I had great kids and great parents and uh, great volunteers. And yet, this was, you know, 11 years ago, and, and God called Lisa and I, gave us this vision to plant a church. And I got to tell you, it was the scariest time of my life. You know, I mean, here you go. I've got this great job, this great church, you know, good salary, health insurance, you know, all those kind of things which are important. And, uh, you know, I'm married. And, and Lisa and I were praying. We're going, God's calling us to step out. And I'm going, okay, we're going from this to nothing. Are you sure, God? And praying for clarity and just saying, God, is this going to work? I have no clue. I don't know what's going to happen. And God says, yes, 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 yes. So I talked to our pastor. And our pastor said, you know what, Jeff, we can give you you know, three months salary or $15,000. You can use it to start the church or whatever. And I'm thinking, well, that's, that's great. That's wonderful. Okay. We got $15,000 and that's it. You know, I don't know what's going to happen. So I'm praying. Lisa's the one who has faith and saying, yes, this is what God's called us to. Let's go. Let's go. Well, I'll never forget the Sunday. I came up on the platform to resign and just to thank the church for everything and told the students how much I love them. And, and I came down off the platform and I sat down on the front row, and there was a guy sitting on the second row, this older gentleman, and he put his hand on my shoulder, and he said this, boy, are you crazy? <laughs> Wasn't the affirmation I was looking for, you know? <laughs> I was like, uh, maybe, I don't know. I, maybe I am. I don't know. This is crazy. I don't know. But in your life, there's going to be people that won't understand. There's going to be people that are going to go, well, are you crazy? Are you sure? 
I mean, you really want to go on a mission trip? Aren't there people right here who need help? You're like, yeah, there are people right here who need help. And we're helping right here. But there's people around the world who don't have a lot of organizations that help them. And I really feel this call. There's times in your life that you've got to make a decision. Am I going to follow what God has called me to do? Am I going to be obedient in that? And Peter's standing there. And the people who are criticizing Peter, think about this. I mean, these are the fellow disciples, right? These are his friends. These are his family. What's Peter going to do? He's going to back down and go, you know, guys, you're right. I'm so sorry. I shouldn't have done that. I, I don't know. You're right. But look what he did. It says Peter began and he explained everything to them precisely as it happened. I, I was in the city of Joppa praying and I was in a trance and I saw a vision. I saw something like a large sheep being let down from heaven by its four corners and it came down to where I was. I looked into it and saw four-footed animals of the earth, wild beasts, reptiles, and birds of the air. Then I heard a voice telling me, get up, Peter, kill and eat. I replied, surely not, Lord. Nothing impure or unclean has ever entered my mouth. And the voice spoke from heaven a second time. Do not call anything impure that God has made clean. This happened three times. And then it was all pulled up to heaven again. Right then, three men who had been sent to me from Caesarea stopped by the house where I was staying. The spirit told me to have no hesitation about going with them. These six brothers also went with me and we entered the man's house. He told us how he had seen an angel appear in his house and say, send a Joppa for Simon who is called Peter. He will bring you a message through which you and your household will be saved. As I began to speak, the Holy Spirit came on them as he had come on us at the beginning. Then I remembered what the Lord had said. John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So I... So if God gave them the same gift as he gave us who believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I to think that I could oppose God? Who was I to think that I could oppose God? Peter just stands up and says, guys, listen, I've got to be true to the vision. Even if you don't understand, even if it doesn't make sense, I've got to be true to what God has called me to. And that leads to number two, which is this. As a follower of Christ, you measure success differently than the world. As a follower of Christ, you measure success differently than the world. See, as a follower of Jesus, success for us is being obedient to God. Now, a lot of us, we measure people's success, right, kind of the way the world does. You know, we look at them, we see what kind of car they drive, see how much money they made, what kind of clothes they wear, what kind of house they live in. And we go, you're successful, right? I mean, you're successful. But as a believer, as a follower of Christ, all of a sudden success looks different for us. We look at Jesus. I mean, Jesus didn't have any material possessions. Jesus was homeless. And yet God, God blessed. And God changed the world through redemption. We look at Mother Teresa, right? Living in the slums, Calcutta. Look at Billy Graham. You look at other people, lay people in your life that you've known who've just been obedient to God, been obedient to God, been obedient to God. And you think, wow, wow, there's something different there. There's something different in the way they live. Now, this doesn't happen, you know, just being a believer for a year or two years or five years or ten years. I mean, this takes a while. But as you walk with Jesus, as you are following God, as you are studying the word, your definition of success changes. And your definition becomes, God, just make me obedient to you. I just want to follow you. Regardless of the outcome, I don't control the outcome. I just control whether I'm going to be obedient. 
I don't know if you guys know this, but uh, football started this weekend. I know, kind of newsflash, shocker for all the men in the room, you know. All the wives are like, yeah, my husband watched 20 hours of football yesterday, you know. But college football kicked off this weekend. NFL kicks off next weekend. And uh, it's just kind of, you know, football time. And, and I love football. I mean, I grew up playing sports, and it's fun. Many of you guys, you know, grew up playing, and, and it's a blast uh, to watch. But if you play football long enough, and here's what they say, and I love this, you know, for rookies, it's always hard when you get out there because of the speed of the game. You know, you got everybody's coming at you 100 miles an hour. But as you're playing longer and longer, they say this, the game slows down. The game slows down. You heard that phrase? The game slows down, right? And now you got a quarterback who can read the safety, can read the DBs. You know, it's like the game slows down. And I believe that happens for us. As you're walking with Jesus for a while, it doesn't mean life slows down, right? I mean, life's just like going crazy. But, but all of a sudden, things start to come into focus. Wait a minute. Do I really need this? Wait a minute. What, what am I doing with this time and this energy and this resource? Really, where am I investing my life? And it's like things start to come into focus. It's like life slows down. Ah, oh, this is what really matters. This is what's really important. This is where I want to invest my time and my energy and my resources. This is what God was talking about in his word. Oh. This past week, our staff, we, we spent this staff cleanup day cleaning out the 22,000 square feet that's in the unfinished space back there. Uh, because we've got to get the 22,000 square feet of stuff that we've had stored back there down to 1,581 square feet. Yeah, I know. It's crazy on a couple of accounts. One, you know, maybe you guys know we are in a Next Steps initiative and we're building out the backspace for preschool and then children's ministry, student ministry. It's, it's exciting. I mean, we're just growing. It's awesome to see what God's doing. But what blew me away was how in the world, we've been in this building, you know, four years plus, how in the world did we accumulate 22,000 square feet worth of stuff? I mean, where did this stuff come from? I mean, how in the world did everything just end up here? And you're looking at things and you're thinking, yeah, I think that was important at one time, but it's not that important. Really, is any of this stuff important? And you start thinking about what really is important. What really does last? You see, there's three things that are eternal. One is God, right? Number two is God's word. And number three are people. And what's going to last at the end of the day, what's going to make a significant difference in your life and in my life is when we invest in the things that really matter. There comes a defining moment for us when we say, I'm going to live my life for what God says and not just what the world says. A defining moment happened here and look at this in verse 18. You know, as Peter kind of tells them what happened. And then all of them, when they heard this, they had no further objections and they praised God saying, so then God has granted even the Gentiles repentance unto life. Now that was huge. That was huge church because these are the leaders of the early church. And now they're saying it's bigger than us. It isn't a worldwide thing. This is something that God is doing. This is a movement of him and I want to be a part of it. And we as a church have to lock arms and get involved in what God is doing. And that leads to number three. Which is this, you commit to live a significant life for Christ. You commit to live a significant life for Christ. Now those who had been scattered by the persecution in connection with Stephen traveled as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch, telling the message only to Jews. See, persecution comes, they're traveling around these different cities, but they're only telling the message to Jews. Some of them, however... You get this bigger picture, right? Some of them, however, men from Cyprus and Cyrene went to Antioch and began to speak to Greeks also, 
telling them the good news about the Lord Jesus. The Lord's hand was with them and a great number of people believed and turned to the Lord. So you're seeing this defining moment as it's shifting. And it's not just becoming about the Jews, it's becoming about all people hearing the gospel. Everybody, lives being changed, lives coming to know Jesus. And the eternal difference that's being made for the glory of God. Now what precipitated this? Well, it says because of the persecution. Difficulties precipitated this. Have you ever thought about that? Sometimes it's in the difficulties that God does his greatest work. As you look back on the defining moments of your life, can you see how God, even in the hard times, was with you? Even in the difficult times, man, he never left you. He never gave up on you. Can you see how he brought even good out of some of the hardest, difficult times? Isn't that encouraging? Out of the challenges here, the people went out and just shared Christ. And maybe you're here today, man, you're going through a difficult time. If you were to be gut level honest, I mean, maybe relationally or financially or maybe at work, it's just challenging. Hey, don't give up. (laughs) You never give up on yourself because God will never give up on you. And God is working even in the challenges. God is working even in the difficulties. And God loves you. Hold on to him. Grow in him. Trust in him. Walk with him. I don't know if you've been following the story lately, but Dr. Kent Brantley, right? I mean, here's this guy who just loves the Lord. And uh, it depends on which news station you watch. Dr. Kent Brantley was either an aid worker, right, or a missionary with Samaritan's Purse. Um, But he was definitely a missionary. And this guy's a missionary. He goes to Liberia and to help people in this area of disease and Ebola virus. And it's so rampant there. And so here's a guy successful. I mean, you know, he could have the things of this world as a doctor. He could have lots of money and lots of fame and all those things. And yet he feels this call. He gets this vision to go to Liberia to help some of the poorest people in the world. And while he's there, what happens? He contracts the Ebola virus, right? He's the first Ebola patient that's ever been brought back to the United States. And he's here. And just 10 days ago, um, Dr. Kent Brantley was released um, from Emory Hospital in Atlanta. I love this quote that he said. He said, I never imagined myself in this position, Brantley said. We treated our first Ebola patient in Liberia in June, and when she arrived, we were ready. And then on Wednesday, July 23rd, I woke up feeling under the weather. And then my life took an unexpected turn as I was diagnosed with Ebola. As I lay in bed in Liberia for nine days, getting sicker each day, I prayed God would help me be more faithful even in my illness. And that in my illness or even my death, he would be glorified. That in my sickness, or even my death, that he would be glorified. I just read that and I thought, wow. We don't know what tomorrow holds, you know. But there's a defining moment that comes in our life that says, God, everything in me for your name. Everything in me for your glory. God, regardless of what happens to me, Father, I want you to be exalted. I want people to know you. I want people to fall in love with you. God, I am yours wholly and completely. And whether I'm healthy or whether I'm sick, 
Or whether times are great or whether times are tough. God, I'm putting a stake in the ground that I am yours. I'm yours. I think about these three guys back in the Old Testament named Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. You may have heard those guys, right? They were taken in exile, but they go over and the king likes them for some reason because, you know, physically they looked good. They were strong. And so he's putting them in leadership. And then he builds this huge idol and he says, everybody in my kingdom, you bow down and worship this idol. And Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego say, can't do it. We only worship God. We only worship him. No graven images. I'm sorry. We're we're not going to do it. And the king gets so mad. You worship They're like, King, I know you've given us food. I know we've got great jobs. I know we've got a good career ahead of us, but can't do it. Not going to do it. I'm going to throw you in the furnace. And I love their response. They say, you know what, King? Throw us in the furnace. Because our God can save us. But even if he doesn't, (laughs) we're not going to worship your idol. We're going to bring glory to God. We're going to bring glory to God. The king gets so mad, he heats up the furnace seven times hotter. The guards take and they throw him in. Even the guards are consumed by the fire and they throw him in the furnace. And you may know the story, right? The king looks in the furnace and he sees him walking around in the furnace. And then he says, I don't just see three. There's four in there. Who is that? The pre-incarnate Christ Jesus walking around with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the hottest time of their life. In the midst of the fire, in the midst of the difficulty, and God is right there with them. And the king says, get them out. That's the God we're worshiping. That's the God we're worshiping. Wow. Number four is this. Significance is determined by what you leave behind. Significance is determined by what you leave behind. It says news of this reached the ears of the church in Jerusalem. And they sent Barnabas to Antioch. Now, who's Barnabas? I mean, Barnabas wasn't one of the disciples. He wasn't one of the apostles. Barnabas was just an ordinary guy in the church that God used in an extraordinary way. He was a guy who was probably a successful businessman because we see at the end of Acts chapter 4, he sells a field and he brings all the money and gives it to the church and says, hey, use this, you know, for the glory of God. And so here's this guy in church and he was just a leader in the church, a lay leader. And they say, hey, go check out what's happening in Antioch. Go on a mission trip. Go over there. And when he arrived, he saw the evidence of the grace of God. He was glad and encouraged them all to remain true to the Lord with all their hearts. He was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and faith, and a great number of people were brought to the Lord. You know, I love about Barnabas. One, he was a good man. He was good. That means his character. In his character, he was good. Secondly, he was generous. You know, he wasn't just hoarding the things of the world and amassing more and more stuff for himself. He was building the kingdom of God. Third is this. He invested in the next generation. He invested in the next generation. It says, then Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul. Here's Saul who had this conversion experience in Acts chapter 9, who was persecuting the church. Everybody in the church was scared of him. And Saul goes back to Tarsus and Barnabas goes, hey, God's got a plan for him. I could do this and disciple these guys, but let me go get Saul and involve him in ministry. And he goes to Tarsus, he brings Saul back. And when he found him, he brought him to Antioch. So for a whole year, Barnabas and Saul met with the church. And taught a great number of people. The disciples were called Christians first in Antioch. These Greeks are growing in the faith. They're learning about Jesus. And people looked at them and said, hey, you guys are like little Christ. You're like little Christ. You're Christians. The first time people are called Christians was here in Antioch. 
It says, during this time, some of the prophets came down from Jerusalem to Antioch, and one of them named Agabus stood up and through the Spirit predicted that a severe famine would spread over the entire Roman world. This happened during the reign of Claudius. The disciples, each according to his ability, I love that, right? Not equal gifts, but equal sacrifice, each according to his ability, decided to provide help for the brothers living in Judea. This they did by sending their gift to the elders by Barnabas and Saul. And so now what you have is you have the church of the Greeks over here helping the people in Jerusalem. God's movement, God is working because a guy named Barnabas, an ordinary guy in the church, said, I want to live my life for the glory of God. I want to live my life and invest in people and invest in the next generation. I want to invest my life in things that matter. There's a defining moment for me, Barnabas said. And I'm going to live for whatever God calls me to. Wow. I recently heard a pastor and he was talking about his dad was a successful businessman growing up. And, and his dad bought a yacht, bought a small yacht. And uh, this pastor said, I remember we used to go sailing all the time. We'd go fishing. It was, it was my dad's pride and joy, this yacht. I mean, he loved this yacht. Now this pastor is getting close to retirement age. And he said, you know, I mean, my dad's passed away. And, and I thought about that yacht the other day. And I thought, what happened to that yacht? He said, so I, I went online. I started looking for it. I still had the serial number. And I tracked it down. It was about three hours away. And I drove there. And I found it. And it was in the back of a shipyard. And it was broken down. And I went to the shipyard guy. And I said, hey, how much would you sell me that yacht? Because that's kind of my childhood. That's what I remember, you know. How much would you sell me that yacht for? And the guy said, I'll sell it to you for a dollar if you get it off my property. He said, I just stood there and I thought, wow, this is my dad's pride and joy and he's going to sell it to me for a dollar. He said, but my dad became a Christian before he died. My dad gave his life to Christ. And, and right before he died, he, um, he amended his will and he gave some of the land to the church. He owned some land and it was beautiful and he just willed it to the church. And he said, I just want you to see some of the things that have happened there. And he started showing pictures of, of moms and dads and kids laughing and worshiping in a chapel. He said, we built it into a conference center now. And we have father-daughter retreats. We have mother-son retreats. We have fathers and sons come out there. And it's a time of worship and it's a time of praise. He goes, that's my dad's legacy there. That's what's going to outlast him. There comes a time in your life and a time in my life when we say, you know what? I don't want to live for the things of this world. I want to live for the things of God. And it doesn't mean that, you know, maybe our whole life turns upside down, but it's a mentality change in our life where we say, this is a defining moment. No going back. I'm going with Jesus. I'm investing in Jesus. And it's not just about the American dream in my life. It's about Jesus and bringing glory to him with everything in me. I'm his his name was Hernando Cortez, and in 1519, he took a group of men, and he sailed from Mexico to take the world's greatest treasure. You see, the Aztecs had held on to the treasure for 600 years. Nobody could defeat him. And Hernando Cortez pulled up on the shores of Mexico with 500 soldiers and 100 men. 500 soldiers, he got 100 men who were sailors that were with him. So there's 600 people trying to take the greatest treasure that nobody could ever take. And while they stood on the shore, Hernando Cortez realized, man, they're going to be outnumbered. They're going to be on their home turf. There's no way we can win. And then he did something pretty amazing. He pulled all the men together and he said this. Burn the ships. 
burn the ships. If we're going back, we're going back in their ships. That changed everything, didn't it? All of a sudden there was motivation. All of a sudden there was determination. And they took the treasure. In your life and in my life, what are the excuses that we have? What are the ships that we just kind of hold out over here and go, you know, God, I'm going to follow you. But man, if it doesn't really work out, I've kind of got, whoo, I got this big old thing over here that I can kind of go back to. Some of you, you've been married for a long time. And, and, and seriously, in your life, you need to take the word divorce out of your vocabulary. Because you just hold it out there, you know. And every time things get challenging or tough, it's like, man, you got this word. And you know what? Burn the ships. God has a plan for you and for your marriage and for your family, for your life. Go to counseling, do whatever it takes, but fight for it. In your life, man, some people, you're just holding back because you think, man, I can go the way of the world and I'll be successful, I'll be fine. And God's going, I got so much more for you. Come on, trust me, follow me. Hold on to me with everything you have. I will do things in your life that you can't even begin to dream or imagine. And I want to use you for my glory. I want to use you to impact people that you won't meet this side of heaven. But one day in heaven, there's going to be people coming up to you going, thank you. You're like, man, I never even knew you. Yeah, but God used you. Because of what you gave or what you said or the way you prayed or where you went, you made a significant difference. The Bible tells us about one of those defining moments. It was on the night that Jesus was betrayed. And he called all of his disciples together and he said, guys, come here. I've already told you, you know, the son of man is going to be handed over. The son of man is going to be crucified for three days. But after those, I'm going to rise. But listen, you're going to go through some challenges. I'm just telling you, it's going to be difficult. It's going to be hard. But, but I need to know, are you all in? I need to know, are you, you all in? He took bread that night, right? And after he'd given thanks, he broke it. And he said, guys, this is my body broken for you. I'm giving my life. I'm giving my all. This is my body broken for you. Take and eat in remembrance of me. And after supper, he took the cup. And he said, this is my blood poured out for you. For you. Take and drink in remembrance of me. For when you eat this and you drink this, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. You know what? 11 of those guys were like, we're all in. And there was one guy, Judas, who never had that defining moment, right? 30 pieces of silver sold him out. The way of the world, the way of the success. If I have money, I'll be fine. If I have that, I'll be fine. And, and I think the question comes to all of us. How do you define success? Has there been a defining moment in your life where you've just said, Jesus, I'm with you. <laughs> Come whatever may, I am with you. And everything in me for your name. Everything in me. And so just like that night, Jesus is here. And there's tables that are set up around the room. There's a gluten-free table over here. There's a table in the middle. There's two tables in the back. And this is Jesus' invitation. This isn't my invitation, the invitation of Rolling Hills. This is the invitation of God himself. To come to the table.
to break off a piece of the bread, Christ's body broken for you, to dip into the cup, his blood poured out for you, and to receive the gift that only God can give. A gift of salvation, a gift of life, a gift of joy, a gift of purpose, a gift of peace. Some of our A6 men are going to come to the tables right now. These are servant leaders in the church and they're just going to be there to pray over you and to stand there. And... But this is you and God. This is you and Him. And maybe you want to pray with your spouse or with your kids or with your family, but at some point, as God moves you, you're invited to come to His table. And I pray that this morning would be a defining moment. Maybe it's a moment of salvation. Maybe it's a moment of, hey, I need to be baptized. Maybe it's a moment of saying, I need to be in a small group. Or maybe it's a moment of just saying, Jesus, I'm going to follow you. Come whatever. I'm yours. But this is your moment with the Lord. Father God, here we are, your disciples today, gathered together in this place. And Father, I pray that this morning, God, you would give us a mentality to just burn the ships. (laughs) All the fallback plans in our lives, the things of the world that just entice us, oh God, that you would say today that you are enough and more than enough and that our lives are going to be dedicated to you. And so this morning, God, we come to your table to take the bread and the cup, but even more to commit our lives and commit our hearts. Thank you, Jesus, for your presence this morning. We love you and we dedicate our lives to you. And it's in the name of Jesus we pray and we come to your table. Amen. Amen. You're invited to come.